this is not my fault. I didn't ask for this. I didn't open the door and say, come in here and disrespect me. This is all his problem. It has nothing to do with you as a human being. And I think that we kind of, we start to question ourselves when we have an emotional reaction to how somebody treats us. But don't take it home with you because that's going to blur your edges on where you are and how how long you're willing to let somebody treat you like that. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. Oh, man. So mm, this topic is simultaneously incredibly important and incredibly frustrating. And it's not my favorite topic in that it's not positive all the time, but I feel that it's really, really important. And so I wanted to talk about toxic masculinity and what it can be like to work either in a work environment or with coworkers or managers or hopefully not, but leaders who don't have a healthy way of relating to themselves as males and therefore have often an even unhealthier way of relating to females. This is something that a lot of women have dealt with. It is not fun at all. But what I want this episode to show you, if this is something that is present for you in your career, my hope is that this conversation with Helen will help you draw on your inner strength so that if you encounter this, which hopefully you do not, but if you do, you have that much more resilience to bounce back and stay strong. One last quick piece of context before I get into the interview with Helen. This interview was recorded a few months ago, and it was actually recorded the weekend after Brett Kavanaugh's Senate hearing. It's been a while. Several months have passed since that but I didn't edit any of that out of the episode because I felt like what was going on contextually while Helen and I were having this conversation was actually deeply connected and related to the topic of toxic masculinity and to the things that we were talking about. So I kept all of that in here, even though it isn't timely, because I felt like it was too important to take out. And with that, I will let you meet Helen. She's incredible. You're going to love this conversation, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. So, and then I just baked chocolate chip cookies because I needed to do something that's not raging at men. It's, you know, everyone's having a different experience and it's been like a bad, it's been a bad week. <laughs> I started crying at yoga this morning because the teacher, like she said, before we even started, we're all like laying on the floor and she was like, it's all women in here. I just want to acknowledge that we've all had a really hard week. Like, with the political landscape and all of that. So like, let's just acknowledge it. And I just immediately started crying. And I was like, here we go. Like, it's the pent up. Yeah. 
the I kept the like questions really short because I was like, we don't need that many. Like there, <laughs> there will be plenty to talk about here. So I'm pumped about it. So if you want to go in, I can kick us off and we can get started. Okay, cool. All right, awesome. So let's start by you just introducing yourself, telling us who you are and giving us kind of the 10,000 foot view of your career arc. Ooh, yikes. Okay, so I'll just try to like make it short and sweet. Uh, my name is Helen Foster. I'm CEO of Halifab Enterprises. It's kind of my side hustle. I do life coaching. That's like my main gig right now um, for the side hustle. And eventually want to get into women's retreats and yoga teaching, a lot of holistic like women's work um, from a political or not political. Dang, we've had a hard week. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a corporate standpoint, I work at a AP um, accounts payable automation company. Sounds super nerdy. It is super nerdy. Nobody gets excited about accounting. So um, we just make it easier for people. And I have gone everywhere from property management companies to software companies to being an admin. It's been an interesting uh, corporate journey. Before I moved to corporate, I did hair for a long time. So that was mostly just working with women, which has its own challenges, but in a completely different way. And I think that before I moved into that, everyone kind of said to me, oh, women are so catty. How are you going to survive working in a salon? And honestly, it's been the, it was the best experience I'd ever had just working with women. So, And the theme of working with women continues, right? Not just in your coaching, which is, I think, primarily like very woman-centric, but also at work, you do a lot of stuff mentoring and just helping women empower themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So anytime somebody comes to me for a job interview, they're interviewing for something I'm hiring for. If they don't qualify, they don't have the experience that we're looking for. I always offer them kind of a mentorship if that's what they're, if that's what they need, if that's what they feel they like they need. Um, just some guidance as far as navigating our company's a little bit unique and our culture is very unique. So helping somebody navigate that map, especially if they're new to the company is something that I take pride in. So, um, I've got, three or four mentees that I meet with on a regular basis that it's really just life stuff. I don't give a shit about their KPIs. Like I'm not their day-to-day boss, but I want to know like what makes them tick? What are they passionate about? And kind of translate that to what they could be doing in the corporate world rather than just working on spreadsheets. Like what do you like to do? What makes your heart race? What makes your heart break? Like what do you want to actually do to impact the world? all right, let's find something in the corporate space that can kind of feed into that. And then if you want to kind of break free out of the corporate space, I'll support you in doing that too. So that's awesome. And the topic that we're talking about today is a very loaded topic. And I honestly have no idea how this conversation is going to unfold because I realize I haven't really had this conversation with anyone before. But we're going to be talking about what it can be like to work with alpha male coworkers, and we can elaborate on what that is. But before we jump in, I would be curious just to hear your initial thoughts, whether it's, you know, your direct experiences encountering this type of person or helping out women who are running into this type of person. Like, what has your exposure or experience been to this type of coworker? I have a few coworkers right now who I would say fit into that that world of very alpha and let's just throw it out there, straight white alpha male cisgender that fits into that category. 
I would say my current job and my the current culture that we're in at work is not one that I struggle with alpha males right now, but I have had a administrative assistant position where I had a very alpha boss and just entitled and rich and just didn't know, just had no self-awareness. So for me, the alphas that I run into are generally in higher positions. And I don't want to use the word power, but higher positions of like title, especially in the corporate world, which then does come with a lot more power than kind of the guys that would be on my level. So I'm in a, you know, senior customer success manager position, which is a leadership position technically, but it's I'm not in the C-suite. And how can it show up? Because I think there are many different types of personalities out there. And I think many types that can unwillingly or willingly be a bit forceful um, and difficult, especially for young women to work with and interact with. So how can this show up or what can it look like? What are some of the traits that you might see? In my experience, it's talking over women in meetings. And it's not just talking over women. It's talking over people. I don't want to say that only women have this problem because it is, I think, the non-alpha males that also have an issue with this type of person. Um, it could be talking over people. It's the mansplaining that is a big thing for me um, that comes up. It's like, I've already said that twice. And now you are trying to present it as your own idea and like re-splain it in the way that somebody else might like <laughs> understand it. And then I think it's also not being able to take no for an answer, but also not being able to creatively collaborate on coming up with a solution. So it's kind of that bull in the china shop, like coming into a meeting saying, this is what we're doing, not having a discussion and not listening to people who maybe understand the process better than he does. And that are calling out and saying, here's five reasons why this is not going to work. He says, go do it anyway. And it's just not the it's the not listening piece. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and trying to unpack it. And I would be really curious to hear your thoughts. But I spend a lot of time trying to understand, like, what is the psyche behind this? Like, what is going on here? And and I think they're all different types of personalities. But I, I do think there are some that are not lashing out, but kind of using the environment and using this to make themselves feel a certain way. And I would just be really curious to hear your opinion on that and why you think some of this behavior happens and what's driving it. So I think, honestly, I think it starts, I've been thinking, doing a lot of thought about the patriarchy lately and understanding that it's, yes, the patriarchy is designed to keep women down, but it's also only designed to let alpha males succeed. So if you're a man who maybe is a little bit more sensitive than the typical alpha male, or maybe you cry, like you actually, you know, possess emotions that you outwardly show to people, you don't fit into this alpha thing. And the way that patriarchy and especially corporate America works is if you are an alpha male, you are basically already three steps ahead of everybody else. Like you're born on third base, right? So. For me, it's like, 
you look at the stats around the number of women that are CEOs of companies that are at X amount of revenue a year, things like that. It's very small. It's like there's more men named Brian and Matthew that are CEOs than there are even women that are heads of companies. And when you are a man who has been told your entire life, you have the power, get the raise, get the girl, create the company, like you're the boss, everything is about you. And you're being supported in that environment because that's just what the patriarchy does is it gives everybody around you kind of the permission to say, you're the, you're the boss and you're in charge. That trickles down into your company. And if you at the top are not self-aware enough to understand that behaving that way sets the example for all the other alpha men in your company, that's what your culture is going to be, is men talking over people, men not respecting people, men just making inappropriate comments because they don't understand the impact that it has on people. And they've just never had anybody come to them and say, hold up, let's have a discussion about this. And that's kind of where I am right now, not, not just in my career, but in my life of like men that I care about that are maybe saying off the cuff things that don't fit into the norm of respect these days. I'm like, okay, like let's have a discussion because if I don't have a respectful discussion with you, the next person that hears you say that is not going to be as pleasant as I am right now. So it's like, I think that's where it comes from is just, they've never had anybody tell them no. Yeah. And what you're saying is kind of making me think of something important, which is that this looks a lot of different ways. And I think that there's a spectrum, right? Because I think that there are men out there who are well-intentioned and not aware of some of the dynamics, especially communication dynamics and sort of unaware of how it can be as a woman, really hard to get your point in. And then I do think there are ones who are a bit farther down the spectrum and um, actually making people feel bad. And I think that that's just a really crappy, really awful thing because I've I've experienced it. I had a lot of interactions with men like that, especially when I was younger. And it makes me really sad and nervous and stressed to know that that's out there. So there's there's a whole spectrum of problems. But I think I get, you know, mansplaining and talking over is so frustrating. And then like it does get worse than that. And it just like, oh, man, it's really, really frustrating and hard to process. Well, and I think there's a difference between having an alpha male who has literally just never been told that's inappropriate or no one likes you behaving that way versus an alpha male who understands what his power is and just doesn't care. That's kind of what I'm wrestling with right now. Like we're doing a lot of DNI, like diversity and inclusion stuff. And like part of the struggle to get people to want to even discuss diversity and inclusion is that they don't want you to change their biases. Like they, they say, I don't want to come to this meeting because I don't want you to have, you don't change who I am. And like my pushback on that is like, I do want to change your biases because if you're an asshole, like I want you to stop being like behaving that way. And, but if you, (laughs) if you know you are and you continue to behave like that, like, I just don't want anything to do with you. So it's like, what, what does that look like? How do you, how do you, as an alpha male, even like, once you recognize it, it's just this ingrained behavior in you. So you, they have to do a lot of work to not behave that way. And I think it can trigger a really defensive reaction. And, you know, I think 
we all have instances where we are unknowingly maybe ignorant about an issue or maybe offending someone, right? So I can relate to this feeling. It doesn't, it feels horrible for someone to say, oh, like your actions are impacting me negatively. And I think the knee jerk reaction is to say, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. I'm fine. Because I think that's just our human instinct. And I think there's probably some of that happening in addition to other things. And I think just men in general in this landscape that we're in right now are, especially straight, white, cisgender men are feeling the pressure. You know, like this is a time in history where women are not being quiet. Like we're not holding back from all the crap that we've been force fed for the last 6,000 years. And I've been having conversation with my male friends about it, specifically around the word privilege. And it's like, they feel like privilege is being used as this horrible word that is being used in this negative context. And I'm like, I get it. Your, your world that you know that you have been, that has been normalized for you for so long is now being told like, we're not playing that game anymore. The rules are changing. And it's kind of that whole thing of like, rights are not pie. Just because I get more rights doesn't mean that you get fewer. Mm -hmm. But then it also comes into like affirmative action and like, well, if we're allowed, you know, if we have these rules around who gets in where, then it does negatively impact me as a white male because now I have to work that much harder to get in. Well, yeah, but you're already 15 steps ahead of me just as a woman and I'm white. So I can't imagine being a woman of color trying to get into the same. I don't know, Ivy League institution that you are. And now I have to have a leg up because you're, you are an automatic in and I'm not. So like, it's, that's a weird, I know we're kind of going out of the corporate world right now, but like, that's, those are the things that I'm thinking about these days. This is what, this is why I'm exhausted all the time. (laughs) I understand. And I think it's all interconnected. So I, and that's kind of one of the things that's most fascinating and most important to me is seeing the intersections of the dynamics that we see at work, that we see at the corporate world and the outside world. And one of my gripes about corporate women's empowerment is it's, it doesn't feel like it's taking all that context into account all of the time. And that's what I want to do here. So I love looking at the outside context because I think it informs our experience and I think it helps us do things the right way. Yeah, I my experience so far as corporate women's development is very much the lean in mindset. And I just disagree with that. Like there is a point where you just lean in too far and now you've fallen over. Like you can't, we're not playing by the same rules as men are. So. I I struggle with the mentality of like trying to do all these things for women when like we're not the problem, right? Like it's this very HR check the box to say we have a plan and do women in leadership lunches and give women these trainings and like do all these things. And I'm like, okay, but what about the men? Like what are we doing for men to not even for training, but just making them aware of how this all works? Oh, they should all be trained. I I like I actually think about this a lot and how that's not happening because I mean, we all require training. Like I too am like educating myself on issues that I should understand more deeply and understanding my privilege as a woman who is white, cis, hetero, but I think that that does matter and I think the thing that frustrates me is I don't see men 
moving or having appetite to educate themselves. And I frankly get really annoyed and frustrated by it because this is like all of these issues. These aren't battles that are supposed to be fought by the people that are having troubles. That's not how this is all supposed to work. And it's frustrating. And I think so many different populations feel that frustration in different ways. Yeah. One of the questions that one of my guy friends recently asked me, we were, we were talking about feminism and we actually got into like racism and a lot of the systemic problems that we have right now. And he said, so are me and all my straight white male friends supposed to just fix the thing? And I said, no, like you're part of it, but you can't fix the thing if you don't allow space at the table for people that haven't had your experience to also help you fix it. Like, yes, you are the start of it. We can't fix this rampant sexual assault pandemic without men being involved, right? But men can't also fix it by themselves because without our experiences, they have no idea what the problem is. I agree. I think there's two pieces to it. And I think, though, I definitely think they need a push, a big push. But I agree. It can't be done in isolation. It's just having the burden all on women and having a women's empowerment echo chamber. It can help. I think bringing women together to have these discussions is awesome. That's what we're doing. It's great. On its own, it is certainly not enough. Right. And that's, I would say for the last two years, definitely since the election, I was definitely in the angry feminist camp of men are trash, men do better, like men, this is your problem, you need to fix it. And then recently, when I, I don't want to say was given permission, but started to have these conversations with men who did actually care about these things. I realized that we can't fix it by ourselves. They can't fix it by ourselves. Like it's a very unsexy motto, but we're all in it together. And what it's going to take is having men who are willing to sit down, have a hard conversation and not get defensive when we lay out what our experience is. And I think that there are a lot of ties to that because I see these conversations around racism and white people go, well, I don't do that. Okay, well, you participate in a system that is built to keep people of color down. So like you personally, you specifically are probably not responsible for this entire system, but you do benefit from this system because you are white. So it's that kind of conversation of like, everyone just needs to stop putting that wall up of being super defensive. And that's not me. I don't do that. And that, that I think is the triggering response that we, we all have. It's just a human thing, but it's having the courage to sit down and go face to face with somebody who has a different experience in you so that you can learn and you can, you can do better. You personally can do better. Because once we start to do that, then the systems fall. They crumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a sad thing when that conversation doesn't happen because someone's just afraid to broach it or they're afraid they'll you know, do it wrong. Like That's where the opportunity is lost. One thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on, especially as you know, someone who's mentored women and who does coaching as well, is uh, I, I know earlier when I was younger... I there were several like men in positions of power who made me feel really, really crappy. And there were some weird power dynamics going on. And I didn't really have like the confidence or the resources to handle it. And 
that is happening out there and it's happening a lot. And I worry and I feel for women who are experiencing that. I guess the first thing I would ask you is what your advice would be to women who are in that situation and maybe dealing with some of that stuff because it can be extremely difficult. Yeah, I I will be honest, I've actually never had to have that conversation. I've been lucky in the fact that the boss that I worked for that was just super disrespectful, it really had nothing to do with me. That was all him. I only stayed there for nine months. And like, it's kind of that thing that um, people don't leave companies, they leave managers, or they leave coworkers or whatever it is. And, but I think my advice would be, there's always a woman in your company who has been through this. There's always a woman that you know that has been through this. And, you know, even if it's not somebody that you work directly with, or even somebody in your company somewhere, there are resources for women who are going through this that can reach out. So like social media for me has always been a platform of just being super vulnerable and saying like, this is my issue. Has anyone done this before? Does anyone have any advice? And also just being very clear, like not everything is rainbows and unicorns all the time. So I think that there's, even if, if you don't have somebody in person or some a friend of yours or whoever that you feel like you can talk to about this, go online because there are so many women's groups that people can join. Um, I think that would probably be my, my first piece of advice is just find someone to talk to. If it's not that person directly, because that's obviously intimidating. If you're being intimidated by somebody because of their power, their title, how they behave, whatever it is, you're probably not going to feel super confident going to have a conversation with that person. But I think if you have the ability to tell somebody, then that's kind of where it starts. Now, I will be honest and say, if it comes to the point where it's just blatant disrespect, that may be an HR issue. And I think for a lot of companies, depending on what your culture is, that is a legitimate HR issue. Like our company takes that very seriously. So I think that you kind of have to read the room as far as that's concerned. If you think your HR person will actually think that's a problem, or if it's just going to be like, oh, you're being sensitive or, oh, that's just who he is. Because that is something that I've dealt with before where I've been disrespected by somebody basically on my same level, just on a different team. And I basically said, I'm, I'm not playing this game. So I escalated and his boss came back and said, well, that's just who he is. Thankfully, my boss was a female who's also an alpha female. So like she and I get along really well. <laughs> said, no, you are going to have to come up with a different answer than that because I can't come back to Helen and say, well, that's just who he is. Like that's not going to fly. So what are we doing to have a conversation with this guy about how inappropriate that was? So I think it's, I think it is, it does take a little bit of bravery to be like, this is kind of how I'm feeling. These are the emotions. Like maybe I'm being sensitive. Can somebody just gut check me on, am I overreacting or is this actually a thing? Cause I know that that's kind of what me and my girlfriends do. If we're just having a day at work, I'm like, okay, lady wife counsel, I need, I need people to come in, like, tell me, am I overreacting? And most of the time I'm not. Like, I think we as women get labeled as emotional and hysterical, but it's like, yeah, yes, because we are emotional human beings. That's who we are. But there are actual things that we get emotional and hysterical about. And I'm using air quotes. You guys can't see me, but, and we have reason to. 
Yeah, it's so weird to me, too. Like, I feel like there's such a double standard around emotion, because if you think about like some of the, you know, most revered business moments in the corporate world, like when Apple launches a new product, right, and everyone's looking with eyes wide open, what do you think is happening there? They're playing on people's emotion. It's an emotional experience. Everyone's bowing down to that. And it's, you know, it's looked at as this incredible thing. And yet, you take the idea of emotion and you apply it to a woman's experience at work. It's this horrible negative thing. And it's so arbit not arbitrary, but it's so illogical. It doesn't make any sense. And emotion is hugely valuable. So for me, it it's just completely upside down. It's I mean, if we want to touch on this, because this is the week of Brett Kavanaugh. She walked in. She was very calm, collected. Yes, she showed some emotion, but she was straight to the point and did not leave any room for question on what her motive was. On the other side, he came in and acted like a toddler. He threw a tantrum, cried through the whole beginning of his hearing, yelled at people interrupted every senator that asked him a question and then also (laughs) didn't actually answer anything. And like, I actually updated my Facebook status that day and said, if a woman came into this hearing and behaved the way that he is, she would be carried out in a straitjacket and labeled as emotional and hysterical and never taken seriously again. But this guy's coming in and everyone is going to see his emotions that he's portraying and saying, well, he's crying. So there's no way that he's guilty about this. Like he's just crying because his life is ruined. And I'm like, okay, it's such a, it is such a double standard of like, he can behave this way and he's going to, he's still going to get ahead in life, regardless of whether he gets confirmed here or not. And her life is now like, she needs to go into witness protection because everybody knows who she is just because she stood up for herself. It's so crazy too, because you can explain something over and over and over. And yet, it seems like the process of that becoming internalized and truly understood. And I think this is like where unconscious bias and things like that comes in. It's not the same thing. Like whether people want to believe it or whether they're resisting it, it just, it's such an uphill battle. And I think that's why things go so slowly when sometimes the solution seems so obvious and so simple. Yeah. And Like throughout this, I've really like this was a really hard week emotionally for me because I like to think that we as women are all kind of in this like collective, like we're on the same team. We all want the same things, even if we don't all have the same beliefs, like abortion is one of those things that like women all constantly go back and forth on. But now I'm seeing women who are in like comment sections, just stay away from them because they are horrible pits of hellfire that no one should be reading. But it's all women saying well, what if she, what if she's lying? And I'm like, okay, but 5% of cases that are reported are shown to be falsified. If, if you took a pregnancy test and you had a 5% chance that it's not actually positive, you're going to assume that it's positive because there's a 95% chance that it is. So like, why is this the logic that we use when it comes to women speaking their truth? Well, she's probably lying. Okay, but statistics show that she's not. Or probably not, I should say. It's an unwillingness to, I think, see a reality. And I think sometimes it's on purpose. And I think sometimes people don't even realize it. And 
it's not like we have a shortage of people that can fill this position, right? It's, it's not like we need we need to get this guy in there. So why why not have someone where there isn't a shadow of a doubt around their character? Right. Yeah, there was a, a meme that I saw going around the internet and it said, the lock her up crowd is super into due process this week of like, just get him in and like, forget a hearing. Let's just vote. Like, okay, double sta- again, double standard. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to ask you about bringing it back to like the day-to-day work context and having experiences with people who don't treat, you know, don't treat their coworkers with respect. Something that I have experienced is knowing that someone is misbehaving and still feeling bad about myself and like still getting stuck in emotions that I know shouldn't be happening. Is that something that you've seen with women who you mentor or you've experienced? And what do you think about that? So I think part of that comes down to how you were raised, what your, I guess, like confidence level is. So for me personally, when I see somebody misbehaving, mistreating somebody, whatever, I'm the first person to call it out whether I do that to their face or whether I do it in a group, it depends on the context and depends on the setting. But I am confident enough in myself to say that's bullshit and I'm calling it out because I am the one to stand up for other people who maybe don't feel like they have the voice to do it themselves. But I have also seen friends of mine who maybe are dealing with a guy who is the alpha, doesn't understand when things are inappropriate or when things are disrespectful and she assumes it's her fault because, you know, maybe she wasn't clear on her boundaries. Maybe it's fine. He didn't really mean it. It was a joke. Maybe whatever the excuse is that we kind of give these guys. And I think honestly, like it comes down to being able to talk to somebody about it, whether that's a close friend, coworker, manager, whatever. And understanding, like, this is not my fault. I didn't ask for this. I didn't open the door and say, come in here and disrespect me. This is all his problem. It has nothing to do with you as a human being. You are you, and he is he is going to be who he is, whether you say to him that's inappropriate or not. Like, that is something that's ingrained in himself. So, and I think that we kind of... We start to question ourselves when we have an emotional reaction to how somebody treats us. When really what somebody thinks about us or how somebody treats us is none of our business because that has everything to do with that person. And that's something that I really had to work on because I am definitely one of those people that for a long time just wanted everybody to like me. I played the cool girl, especially like in relationships and stuff. Like I didn't want anybody to ever have a reason to say, she wouldn't let me do X, Y, Z with my friends or she wouldn't, whatever the thing was. So I was the one that just let everything roll off my very passive and like never caused a stink. And then I realized that wasn't getting me anywhere. I was disrespecting myself. But when I started to realize that and realize that not everyone's going to like me, it took a couple years for me to get to the point where like, I just do not care if someone likes me, because if they don't like me, that is on them. 
So if you have somebody that's coming to meetings and just being straight up disrespectful, there is a time and a place to call it out, have a discussion with them, explain to them why you feel like that. But if you've done that, just understand that's them as a person. Like it's not something that you can control. You can control your reaction to it, which maybe it's maybe it's having a good cry, maybe it's going to yoga class, like whatever it is, but don't take it home with you. Because then that is gonna that's gonna blur your edges on where you are and how how long, you know, you're willing to let somebody treat you like that. Absolutely. And it kind of comes back full circle to the Kavanaugh thing, too, because it shouldn't be happening in the first place. Right. And then why do these things happen and how does culture get made and how do standards get set? This is how. And it just it's it's frustrating that like the lines aren't clearer in all of these situations, politically, at work. There are so many analogs, even when the harm being done isn't exactly the same. The dynamics are so similar and the defenses are so similar. And I just think it's time for there to be far, far less tolerance of some of this behavior because it is rampant out there. And it worries me. Like if I think of like my what 22 year old self going into some environments that I know are out there, like it just it disturbs me to think about this stuff. Yeah. And I like there's another quote that's been going around that says like, oh, she was drunk. She deserved it. Oh, he was drunk. Don't ruin his life. And it's like, okay. so what are the rules? Can Like, can we put these down on paper so everybody understands? Like, women, you don't mean anything to this world. And men, you mean everything. Like, that's basically the message that we're being told. As women, we understand that you've been through this horrible thing. But like, get over it is basically what we're being told. And I think that that for women, a lot of times in an office environment, because that's what we've been told over and over again, is when someone's disrespectful, your first instinct is not to stand up for yourself. It's, I'm not worthy enough to stand up for myself. And that's kind of like what I'm trying to do with my mentees, with my coaching clients, that kind of stuff is empower them to know like you are a human being and you're important enough to stand up for you, regardless of what this other person has going on. Like you deserve a a level of respect just like everybody does i'm not saying this person has to go above and beyond for you regardless of your relationship with them but there is a level of decency that we should all have with each other i agree and it gets even more twisted when you think about the fact that you know this man may be in a position of power this man may have control over your career trajectory and that's when it gets even harder to stand up for yourself because you don't understand what the consequences are, what the rules are, and you're all of a sudden in this system that you can't even trust. And this shouldn't be tolerated and it shouldn't be acceptable. And unfortunately, it is still out there. And I just, I hope that anyone who's in it, because, you know, we've all had our own experiences, but I I know how not fun it can be in certain instances. I I just hope that people can find a place to go or like you said, someone to talk to because this is not okay. And yeah, it's just so difficult. Yeah. It's something that I avoided or like really didn't even think about until, you know, probably in the last two years of exactly how rampant it is and also how we are treated. Like it's so easy to stick your head in the sand and just avoid it. Like, oh, that's just how it is. And just accept it because that's what we've been doing. And now it's like there's this simmering rage 
under the yeah. surface of every woman right now of like, I am not standing for this. Absolutely. And it's also sometimes easy to forget what's out there if you're in a bubble. Like it sounds like your company places a high value on this. And, you know, I'm very lucky to be around people who are very respectful. So you can also kind of forget what is out there. And a lot of these things stay hidden, which is also very twisted and disturbing. Yeah. We recently just hired a new um, woman SVP and she's on the executive team. And one of the first questions that she asked me was, is mansplaining a problem here? And I I answered her honestly, and I said, it really depends who you are, what meeting you're in, and who's in the room. I said, for me, it's not a problem because I've shut it down enough times that people just don't behave that way with me anymore. But if you're not somebody that's going to stand up for yourself, it very, very well could happen. So, and like, I just like that we're even talking about this stuff. Like, when... Think about 10 years ago, and obviously the feminism movement has been around for a long time, but I think for especially our generation, now is when everybody is is getting into it. And like, we all obviously wish Donald Trump wasn't in office. Like there are so many other qualified people that could be there, whether it's Hillary or not. But I do think the silver lining to him being there is the fact that all of us are now comfortable having these conversations with people, even if it's just woman to woman, being able to discuss feminism, discuss rights and all this stuff. And if you do have the opportunity to talk about it with men or people that don't think the same way that you do, like that's even better. Right. And it's like we if Hillary had gotten to office, we would not be having these conversations. We would be yay women. But really, it would be yay white women and not talking about anything else. So part of me, like, I don't want to say I'm glad and I'm happy that he's in there. But it's like, I am glad that I'm able to have these connections with people and these hard conversations and know that I'm not by myself in my thinking. It brought things to the surface that were already there. So they were going to be there either way. They just bubbled up and now they're very clear and very visible and it's hard to not do anything and it's hard to not react to it. Right. Yeah. And it's, well, I would say it's hard for women to not react to it. I still think for white, straight, cisgender men, it's still easy to not think about it, not vote because it doesn't affect them, those types of things. Because that's the message that's coming from the White House is that you are important. You are the top. You are the head of the household. You you are who we're making the rules for. If you're ready, I'm going to go into the listener question. Go for it. I'm excited to hear your advice. So the listener says, I loved my job and my team so much until recently when the dynamics began to shift. We lost a couple of team members and hired new ones, and my new team members have a much more no-nonsense, sometimes slightly condescending slash alpha work style. It's only been a couple of weeks, so I don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction, but I've been pretty unhappy and I've already thought about leaving. I haven't even been in this job a year, though. What do I do? Sincerely, help me make an alpha bet. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So... That is something that I haven't experienced, but I have experienced a culture change in a job. My advice would be don't make a knee-jerk reaction, right? Like it can't be like, this is awful, I have to leave. And the reason I say that is because you could knee-jerk yourself into an even worse situation just to leave what you're in right now. So my thought is, 
even though you haven't been there for a year, I feel like the corporate climate is a lot more forgiving when you have job moves than it was 10 years ago. And I think that the mentality of, oh, I have to be here forever to show that I'm dedicated and all these things. There's also a level of like self-respect. And I think that hiring managers will understand that. And if they don't, you don't want to work for them anyway. Right. So I would say, see, I would, I would stay there for a little bit longer, give it a month, give it six, eight weeks, whatever it is. See if it gets better. See if you can make a relationship with these people. And if you're comfortable having that conversation with them of like, hey, this is our culture or this is what it's been. And I'm having a hard time reconciling how you speak to me or how you know you behave in meetings or whatever. And it doesn't have to be an accusatory thing. It's just I'm struggling to connect with you because of whatever the reason is. See if that conversation goes anywhere. Because I think a lot of people, even though at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about how people can get really defensive. I think if you come at it from an angle of, I want to be able to have a relationship with you from a coworker standpoint, so we can do some really cool things. I don't know what this person's job is, but like my job, if I don't have a good relationship with my coworkers, we don't get anything accomplished. So have that conversation and see if anybody is willing to meet you halfway. And maybe it's, you have to make some concessions on you know, maybe your culture is changing a little bit, but it's for the good because now you're bringing in, I don't know, X amount of commission or revenue or whatever. Um, but if that conversation doesn't go anywhere and the culture continues to shift or it continues to change, or these people continue to behave the way that you just don't jive with, it's okay to leave. Like if you don't own the company, you don't really owe anything to them. I like that. It's like, give it a chance, give it a shot and then see. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes if you're trying to have kind of like a difficult heart to heart with someone, a coworker or anyone, it can help to get into a different like physical atmosphere. So like instead of doing it in the office or in the conference room or whatever, like maybe just go outside to a coffee shop. I don't know. I feel like it changes something for me. Yeah, I think that's something that I've seen some of our leaders do. Like if you have to have a tough conversation with somebody, if it's like a performance review or whatever, sometimes it helps to just take a walk with that person, right? Because then it becomes like, because when I think about having a discussion with somebody, I'm like, okay, well, we can step into this empty office that has a desk and one of us is going to be on the side of power of the desk and the other person is going to be on the other side. So like, maybe let's go to the cafe downstairs and have this conversation rather than it being in an office. Or yeah, let's go to the coffee shop or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think I do think getting out of the atmosphere that you're used to, like go to lunch somewhere else and have this conversation. Yeah, it's weird. It's a little thing, but there must be some psychological reason behind it. It makes conversation feel different. Right. And I think because a lot of times when you come into the, into work, you're like, you kind of put your work mask on of like, this is how I need to behave. And then when you get outside, like I think about when you travel with people that you work with and it's like, <laughs> like for us, it's like accountants gone wild. Everybody <laughs> like let's loose. Um, so I think that's, that, that probably is a good point. Like you just get them out of the normal, like stuffy corporate environment where you can actually talk to each other as human beings and not coworkers. Accountants gone wild. I love it. <laughs> Okay, last couple of quick questions. So this one is very thematic to what we've been talking about, but the show is called The Art of Speaking Up. So 
If there's any angle of it you feel like we haven't hit on about why it's important to speak up or what you think of it in general, this is your kind of space to share that. So I'll kind of get personal on this. Um, I am someone who is in a, like, I would call it an overweight body if you think about like what the medical term is. And I am way into yoga, but obviously I don't fit into the quote unquote aloe yoga or Lulu yoga body. I'm not a skinny white girl. I am a white person, but I'm not like, I'm not throwing my ankle over my face from behind my body type thing. And I've recently worked with a body image coach to start kind of unpacking that stuff, where it comes from, you know, why I feel the the way that I do about my body and how I fit into society and why I'm single and like all these things. And it got to the point that I have done so much introspection that I now feel empowered enough to go to a yoga class and give feedback to the teacher of, I need you to use inclusive language because I'm not the only person that's going to come to your class that feels the need to fit in or feels marginalized when you use this language. So for me, it's not just the importance of standing up for myself, but it's the importance of standing up for other people like me who are not at the same level that I am of awareness, bravery, courage, whatever the word is. So for me, speaking up is super scary. Like sometimes I cry when I do it, but I still do it. And if you don't stand up for yourself, you might find somebody that is like me that will stand up for you, but you might not. And I think that there comes a time where you might be in a situation right now that feels, meh, I don't think I need to stand up for me. But then in three years, that situation might pop up again, but even worse. And you're like, I should have stood up for myself the first time because now this is becoming a pattern, whatever. I continue to see this thing. So I think that there is something to be said about like even just practicing. It sounds kind of silly, but like if something happens to you and you're like, ooh, that felt kind of gross and shitty. Like, I don't want to have to experience that again. And you need to, I don't want to use the word confront, like you need to confront the person that did it. Maybe have that conversation with somebody else first. Practice what you want to say to them. So you don't just like walk into their office and like word vomit all over them about how you feel about the thing. Or like, I don't know, cry fierce hot lady tears because you're just in a rage about how you feel about the thing. Because that's, I've done that too. Um, But I do think that we're in a time and space in our culture, in our society, in our generation, that being quiet doesn't get you anywhere. Like we've seen that being quiet and keeping your opinion to yourself and sitting in the corner and not stepping up to the table. No one is going to hand you those things, right? Like you have to take them. I think you bring up something really important. And I'm really glad that you shared all of that, which is figuring out like where we are strong in what we are able to speak up about and using that for other people and also understanding where it's hard for us because I think that that's important and we all have our own areas where it's going to be difficult and and something that's, you know, really hard for me might not be at all hard for you and then, you know, that might be flipped too. So I think that that's such a good point and I really appreciate you opening up and sharing that. I think I think it is also recognizing like I'm not good at this, right? 
Like we all want to be perfect at everything. We're not. So there is a level of self-awareness of like, Ooh, I want to be able to stand up for myself in this situation, but I've never done this before. But if you know someone who has, or you've seen somebody do it, go talk to that person about their experience. Like what, how did you get to this point? Because then you can kind of pick up nuggets of those types of things. My other thing is, if you are somebody who maybe feels like more of an introvert, you're more quiet, you're more reserved, you're more shy around people you don't know, things like that. I challenge you to step outside of that bubble and go talk to a stranger in the kitchen or the lunchroom at work that you've never talked to before. Male or female, I don't care who it is. You might start a relationship with that person that is now bringing you something that you didn't have before. And it's not like a codependency thing, but it's like a learning thing of they have this experience and I don't, but I can probably learn from them. So it could be a formal mentor. It could just be somebody that you have lunch with that is on the same level corporate wise as you are. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think you kind of hit on the last question, but I'll open up the space in case there's more. But the last one is just giving you the opportunity to share whatever is important for you to share with young women since I created this show to help them feel good and confident and less alone in anything that's difficult for them. So I want to just give you the floor if there are other things you want to share that you think are important to be heard. I think one of the things that I specifically focus on in coaching that's important for women to understand is that Society gives us this timeline of you graduate high school, you go to college, you figure out your career, you find a husband, you buy a house, you have kids. And if you don't do this by 30, you're a failure. And I'm calling BS on that because I'm 32. I'm single. I just bought my house by myself. Yes, I have a career, but like, do I want to do that long, long term? Probably not. Like, I think that there's other things that I want to do. So if you are in the skin of somebody that, you feel like you have this pressure to get married. You have this pressure to go to college. You have this pressure to do whatever the thing is. And something inside you is saying, this doesn't feel right. I don't want to do that. I don't know why I'm doing this. Don't do it. Like you don't have to do, no one is saying, no one specifically, maybe your mom, but like nobody specifically is watching you and being like, she's 32 and doesn't have kids and isn't married. Like what's wrong with her? And we all think that, We all think everyone is watching us when literally we all think everyone is watching us. So no one is actually watching anyone (laughs) except we all think that. And I think that that's, that's a big um, like theme and a lot of things that a lot of conversations that I have with women is like, Oh, I need to get married. Like I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't buy a house. I can't do these things. I'm like, okay, let's, Come back to zero and like, let's discuss this. Like, why do you feel like that? Well, every time I see my mom, she asks me like where my relationship status is and when she's going to have grandkids. Okay, you need to have a conversation with your mother that like, if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think that a lot of the older generations, especially like family members, there's no real boundaries. They're like, oh, like, are you pregnant yet? Did you have it like... When are you going to have your second kid? Like, it's just no one's business. And I think that that's something like, and to stand up for yourself, like back to that theme, it's like, you can shut that conversation down respectfully and basically say like, that's none of your business. 
And I think that that's something that we collectively, just as women who do have a voice and have a platform and have strong voices and are not afraid to stand up for ourselves is like, I'm going to stand up for you, especially if I hear somebody that is a stranger or somebody who is not at all qualified to ask you that question. And I'm going to shut it down. So like the only person that should be asking you, like, when are you going to have a second kid? It's whoever you're having that kid with. Right. So I think there's a lot of that pressure that society just puts on us and we've got to stop. Like I felt that pressure for a long time. I was shopping for a husband. I was literally like anyone, please just marry me so I can prove that I am worthy of having a husband. And now I'm like, I don't even know that I want to share my fridge with someone, let alone my bed and my bathroom. Like, I don't know. So I would say like one of my big things is if you feel like you're getting a pressure to do something that you just are not even sure that you want to do, it's fine if you don't do it. No one is going to die if you are not married by 30. I feel like you're just such a trailblazer for so many women. And you probably already know this through your coaching and through the work you do. But you're clearing this path and this space for other people who are getting there to where you are. And I think that that's really amazing. It's not something I've always been into. So like this for me has been kind of a cool journey of like watching the evolution of being the cool girl and the quiet one and keeping my opinions to myself to like just doing a complete 180 and like burning that to the ground and starting over as somebody who does stand up for other people and wants to show women specifically you don't have to live this 50s housewife life unless that's what you want. If that is truly what you are passionate about, more power to you, sister. Like that is suffocating to me. But we all have our own choices and we don't all have to make the same ones. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we get to do what we want. It should be free of judgment. And it's about pursuing whatever makes us happy. It doesn't matter. And that sounds so simple and so obvious, but I think we forget that. And sometimes we even feel guilty for doing that. Yeah. I just read a book. It's called No One Tells You This. I think her name is Glennis McNichol. It was her her, her memoir, her biography. And she's like 40, never married, no kids. And it's like her journey of realizing that and that maybe it's not actually what she wants. So my advice to anybody, like if you are starting to feel like you have this clock that's ticking, you're not sure if you actually want kids. You're not sure if you like whatever. You are allowed to make your own rules. You don't have to live by anyone else's. Like that should be my tagline. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Helen. I hope you loved it. Helen is an incredible woman. Outside of this interview that I did with her, I've gotten to know her just as a person, and she's so passionate about empowering women and creating community, and I have a ton of respect for her. And if you felt drawn to her or you felt like you might want to connect with her or explore coaching with her, I really recommend it. Helen has such a strong sense of internal power, and she owns who she is, and I think that she has a really, really special gift for helping women do the same and helping them see that in themselves. I'm going to put her contact info in the show notes in case you're interested in reaching out to her. Her, She has an Instagram, it's hellafab underscore, and her website is hellafab.com. I'll put it all in the show notes. I want to thank you 
so much for listening. And as always, I love hearing from you. If you have feedback on the show, if you want to submit a listener question to the show, if there are topics or things that you'd love to see addressed on the show, if you know an incredible woman who you would love to see as a guest on the show, I want to hear all of it. I want to hear from you. I love hearing from you. It makes me so happy. So don't hesitate at all to reach out to me. I'm super nice, I promise. My Instagram for the show is at the art of speaking up. You can also reach out via email, Jessica at the art of speaking up.com. I hope that you're doing amazing. Have an incredible week. Have an amazing day. And I am so excited to catch you again next week. Bye.